Some people are happy to give feminists credit for things they fear, like abortion rights, contraception for teenagers, or gay liberation, but less willing to acknowledge that feminist activism brought about the things they support, like better treatment for breast cancer, or the opportunity for young girls to play soccer, as well as lead cheers. As Rosalind Baxendahl and Linda Gordon observe, quote, although the word feminist has become a pejorative term, for to some American women, most women, and most men as well, support a feminist program, equal education, equal pay, childcare, freedom from harassment and violence, and so on. Laurel Thatcher Ulrich, well-behaved women seldom make history. Hello, witches, women, and other magical listeners. I'm Hannah, the bipolar bisexual host of this bi-weekly podcast of Witches and Women. Of Witches and Women is a Her Story podcast in which I explore the lives and histories of women forgotten, ignored, and misrepresented. This season of the podcast will include interviews with amazing women in medicine today, as well as the stories of women who made medicine in the beginning and who have improved it along the way. Women healers have historically been some of the first to be labeled as witches and the first to be oppressed, tortured, killed, used for their knowledge by men in power, things like that. This season, we are honoring our magical legacy and embracing our history of witchcraft, medicine, and empowerment. Be sure you and your coven are subscribed to the pod on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, everywhere, and connect with your sisters through the Of Witches and Women Instagram, Twitter, Reddit, or Facebook. If you haven't visited the website yet, go to ofwitchesandwomen.com to subscribe to the Oracle newsletter, explore the magical artwork in the Grimoire Gallery, listen to and check the episode sources in the Lamia Library, and shop Wicked merch in the shop. This season of the Of Witches and Women podcast is sponsored by Lua Ray Clothing. Lua Ray Clothing is a women-owned and operated small business. When you shop their seasonal collections, use the promo code WITCHES15 at checkout for a 15% discount. If you see something you love, order now because their collections sell out quickly, and you, my lucky witches, get an exclusive discount. Check out their online boutique stocked with high quality women's clothing that is flattering, comfortable, current, and inclusive by visiting luarae.com. That's L-U-A-R-A-E.com today. This episode, I'm so happy to fangirl in front of all of you, uh, because as a young child, I watched movies and documentaries based on the work of this incredible historian I'm gonna interview. As a teenager, I read her books, and she opened my eyes to a rich world of women empowered and important in any role of their choosing. Today, I'm sharing my interview with Dr. Laurel Thatcher Ulrich, Pulitzer Prize winner, Bancroft winner, winner of many other historical awards and Harvard Professor Emeritus. Dr. Ulrich is one of the most decorated historians in the world and is one of the voices responsible for documenting and validating women formerly forgotten and ignored in history and society. 
I cannot recommend her book, Well-Behaved Women Seldom Make History, enough. I have several copies myself with highlights, bookmarks, little margin notes. It's one of her many excellent publications, highlighting the stories of women of the past to touch on our struggle as women today. Well-Behaved Women Seldom Make History, as well as her award-winning book, A Midwife's Tale, are linked in Lamia Library show notes, so be sure to check them out. Uh, Shakespeare's daughters shared their names with two biblical women, Susanna and Judith. Susanna was a model in the Bible of chaste behavior, who was accused of adultery, but baby Daniel miraculously spoke and saved her. Meanwhile, Judith was this alluring, zealous fighter who used her feminine qualities to trick men into submission um, or to, you know, sneakily kill them. And in your book, you say, the lessons these stories taught were powerful but contradictory. A woman should be both chaste and alluring, both innocent and bold. So how do you see that tension reflected in history? Oh, it's all over the place. I mean, you could think of the um, little nursery rhyme. I don't know if you remember that. There was a little girl who had a curl right <laughs> in the middle of her forehead. And when she was good, she was very, very good. And when she was bad, she was horrid. Um, I don't know if anybody still reads those nursery rhymes, but I remember hearing that when I was little. It's, mm -hmm. it's a kind of play on women as having um, <clears throat> loose boundaries. That is the notion of just exalted perfection Mm -hmm. you know, as an, a goddess, an object of worship, or as um, threatening in some way. Not just seductive, but duplicitous. And, mm -hmm. you know, these are mythical mm -hmm. concepts of women. There are mythical concepts of men as well. But I think it's fascinating that these images from the Apocrypha um, the names, I mean, I know Judy's, mm -hmm. <laughs> Judas, um, and the, the names were used, um, picked up, familiar, um, and still persist today. People are not probably named for the biblical characters, but for loved ones, mm -hmm. or, you know, relatives who bore those names. But when we go back and look at the archetypes, we can see this kind of notion of extreme behavior. Um, not real, not descriptive of actual people, but they tell us, I think, even we see this in politics today, you know, female mm -hmm. power is dangerous or female gentleness and submissiveness is healing or important. Yes, absolutely. One of the things that I noticed is that your book, Well-Behaved Women Seldom Make History, kind of walks that line. Um, and it identifies, of course, that there are many talented, well-behaved women in history, uh, Susanna archetypes, so to speak, but their stories haven't always been told or highlighted to the same degree as uh, the Judiths 
of history and their stories seem to be more well documented uh, almost as like a suppressive technique or a warning tale in some cases. Mm -hmm. I think that's well put. Although I would say that the extremes, the two extremes that are represented in those mm -hmm. stories, um, they are reflected in myth, in poetry, in movies. Mm -hmm. um, what is hard to capture, and when I say well-behaved women, seldom make history, I'm, I'm really thinking about common, ordinary women who, sure. who are a mix. Mm -hmm. uh, in the example in the chapter of Rosa Parks, I mean, the mythical Rosa Parks is just an ordinary um, woman uh, dressmaker who just got tired and therefore sat in the back of the bus. Mm -hmm. The real Rosa Parks was a political activist who knew exactly yes. what she was doing and was trained for uh, disruptive action at a particular moment in time in an organized way, working with um, uh, the black rights movement. So history um, written without an interest in the actual lives of women tends to fall into these archetypal patterns. Mm -hmm. And so we don't know very much about women in history. Definitely. We're definitely missing out. <laughs> yes. Um, in chapter three of Well-Behaved Women Seldom Make History, you talk briefly about a woman, Agnes Bowker, uh -huh. who tried to commit suicide when she found out she was pregnant, um, but she failed twice. Uh, when she gave birth, she was accused of giving birth to a monster or like a skinned cat um, or something like that. And she claimed it was because she had intercourse with a minister on hallowed ground. Mm -hmm. um, what I find fascinating about that story and the way that you tell it is that maybe a few decades before or a few towns over that sort of thing, like her giving birth to a child that was disfigured could have easily started some sort of witch hunting fervor as, mm -hmm. as it had. Um, but Agnes was not officially accused. Mm -hmm. So what is it like, what factors had to be there that led some women to being tried as witches and others not? Um, it's to a certain extent happenstance. Mm -hmm. uh, depends on where you're born and what kind of a community you're in and whether the people in power are respectful of science or very subjective to uh, stereotypes and myths or notions of magic. I mean, the, the idea of a woman giving birth to a monster turns up often mm -hmm. in, the, in the 17th century um, at a time of um, great political and religious controversy and tension. It happens in uh, Boston, mm -hmm. uh, the story of Anne Hutchinson, 
for example, who is a religious dissenter, very, very respected in her community until the moment yeah. when she was a real threat. And she did have some kind of a tumor. And the, those who investigated this began to read it as a sign from God that uh, she was being punished um, for her heresies. So I think Agnes Bowker was fortunate in that she was in a community where it wasn't um, divided and polarized. And mm -hmm. her case became, I think she was actually protected by the women who officiated uh, at her birth and this didn't take off. Very cool. So a little bit of women helping women there. Yes. Um, a little bit of maybe an educated sort of law enforcement type of person there mm -hmm. or a town magistrate. Yeah. Very good. And of course, like you said, happenstance. <laughs> Sometimes it, it, it happens. In our own world. I mean, mm -hmm. things vary depending on where you are and the context in yes. which these events occur. Absolutely. I think context is so important, especially as we look at history. Recently on the podcast, I've been doing Greek mythology, um, and it's fascinating how you can use context from mythology to sort of help fill in history, so to speak. Yes, but, yes always. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Um, and finally, because I promise not to take up too much of your time, I'll be telling Martha Ballard's story for the rest of uh, this podcast episode. And I'm going to be using your Pulitzer and Bancroft winning book, A Midwife's Tale, The Life of Martha Ballard Based on Her Diary, mm -hmm. as my main source, because it's <laughs> the best source. <laughs> um, and my understanding is that her diary sat in a library for a long time as an untapped resource. She was one of these well-behaved women, one of these people living her life, being ordinary uh, for a long time, but you completely flipped the script on that. And what empowered you to take another look at Martha's diary and see what so many people who had looked at it or knew about it hadn't seen yet? Well, it's a um, interesting and complicated story, but A Midwife's Tale was my second book. Mm -hmm. My first book, <clears throat> I'd been working on 17th century New England, and I think I maybe found half a dozen fragmentary documents written by women. Mm -hmm. uh, it was just a world where a female literacy was very low. And so I was constantly working with court records like those that we talked about a minute ago with Agnes Bowker, mm -hmm. trying to see circumstances in which people's stories were reflected in writings by men, men's account books, uh, letters. And so I began to work on a new project. I happened to go to the Maine State 
library in Augusta, Maine, which was not a place many scholars work. But I was looking for something very specific in Maine history, and it turned out not to be very valuable um, or helpful. It was a long trip, and I didn't want to waste the day's uh, journey. And so I just looked in the card catalog, and I was amazed to find that they had a manuscript diary. Um, I mean, it was just kind of a miracle because two very fat volumes of handwritten diary in a woman's own handwriting for 27 years. Um, wow. And other people have looked at what they thought was the diary, but it was just excerpts from the diary printed in a town history in the early 20th century. And they take it, you know, they preserve the genealogical records. She's a midwife, mm -hmm. so lots of births and details, but anything that was a little bit um, might embarrass someone uh, was taken out and it was greatly condensed. And it really wasn't very useful. I knew it was valuable. Mm -hmm. because I had the experience of working in a somewhat earlier period, um, really uh, suddenly felt like, you know, I'd found one of these women I'd been looking for. Mm -hmm. And there she was. It took me um, eight years to write the book. It's not easy to tease out stories from fragmentary bits of information, but it, it's a fabulous diary. Um, if I had been a historian of the 19th or 20th century, I probably never would have written the book because I'd been, I had had so many more sources kept by women, women novelists, whatever. This was a period when Women were just in Martha Ballard's generation, just a few of them were really beginning to systematically keep some kind of record. And this is the first extended record of a midwife that we know of in her era. Wow. That is an absolutely amazing story. I love it. And I have to say that um, through sort of that discovery and your ability to identify it, um, you and Martha Ballard both became sort of these well-behaved women who made history uh, because you were able to identify that there was a need for those records and you were able to share them in a way that so many people could read and understand and process and so thank you for that it's wonderful well, i'm glad that you appreciate it it's uh, certainly changed my life to discover martha ballard's life well i think that um your research and your ability to share her stories uh because as you know but my listeners don't my dad is a historian and i know that it can be really hard to take history and create like a narrative out of it while maintaining 
uh, the integrity of the history. Mm -hmm. And you did such a beautiful job of that. And so thank you. And thank you so much for speaking with me today. It's a dream come true. Thank you for caring about the work. I appreciate it. Martha Moore was born in Massachusetts in 1735. We don't know much about her childhood, but it seems ordinary for the time and place. She married at age 19 and became Martha Ballard. Like most women of the time, Martha worked and worked hard. While there were no unions, paid sick leave, or minimum wage, there was work. There was always work. Sometimes we look at women of the past as if they only tended to children, cooked and cleaned. And while those were certainly big, time-consuming responsibilities in Martha's life, she and most other middle and lower class women also worked outside of homemaking. Some women were maids, some worked the farmland with their husbands, some worked in factories, some spun thread, or made clothes, or were teachers. Martha was a midwife. Midwives live on call, ready at any moment for a new mother to need her help. Martha was no exception. She was an incredibly busy woman. Martha had nine children of her own, six of whom survived to adulthood and three of whom died of diphtheria. Martha lived in a very exciting time and place in New England during revolutionary uncertainty, war, and the creation of a new country. As a mature adult, Martha decided to pursue medicine. Martha chose midwifery in her 40s, after her children were slightly older and not quite as dependent on her. She did a lengthy apprenticeship and became a midwife. She had very little formal education, but was invaluable to her town and neighbors. Martha delivered at least 816 babies in Hallowell, Maine, caring for mothers and children in her community with great attention. She was also an herbalist and a nurse caring for the elderly and sickly. She would travel miles a day, often over frozen rivers and through snow in the cold north. Like Mildred before her, Martha was the frontline worker in her community, evaluating, diagnosing, treating, and often curing members of her town. Martha's diaries were unknown and low priority to historians for some time. But with Dr. Ulrich's care and attention, we have learned so much about Martha, as well as her town, the women of her time, the cultural zeitgeist of the common man and woman during the Revolutionary War, and more. While her diaries are endearingly full of creative spelling and notably lack punctuation, they are invaluable as a window into the past. There are very few diaries by pioneer women available today. And reading hers, I am humbled by the hard work Martha did each day, and so grateful for antibiotics and vaccines that prevent many of the illnesses she faced regularly. I'm so glad for the inventions and conveniences of the modern day, but interestingly, the day-to-day -day discussions and interactions with neighbors, town intrigues, and the miracle of birth have remained largely the same. In these quarantine times, we may have more time to fill at home. And if that's you, check out A Midwife's Tale movie on PBS to learn more about Martha's fascinating life. And if you're a reader, enjoy some of Dr. Ulrich's fantastic books. Martha Ballard's town of Hallowell has historic monuments and buildings, as well as a Martha Ballard walk, 
where you can learn more about her experiences and the day-to-day -day life of people in the 1700s on a tour. Witches, let's talk shop, specifically the Of Witches and Women shop. If you haven't explored the website yet, you need to. Ofwitchesandwomen.com has show notes and sources for each episode in the Lamia Library. In the Grimoire Gallery, you'll find beautiful witchy artwork by contemporary artists and can link to their personal sites. And on every page of ofwitchesandwomen.com, you can sign up for the Oracle our newsletter of obscure stories, artist biographies, and exclusive podcast content. And of course, please, please visit the shop. The Of Witches and Women podcast shop is full of fun merchandise from stickers for the whole coven, to organic reusable cotton tote bags, to magic color changing mugs, to teas and tanks and aprons that will let all your friends know your witchy little secret, and more. When you shop at ofwitchesandwomen.com, I get to make a little bit of money so that I can keep this podcast running. Plus, this season, some of the proceeds from the Witches Made Medicine stickers and t-shirts will be donated to a healthcare organization that we will choose together next summer. Some of you awesome witches have already purchased your Witches Made Medicine merch, and there's still time for the rest of you to check it out and get your merch today. Of course, for your upcoming holidays and birthdays, you can always ask your squad for an Of Witches and Women Shop gift card, which is kind of like getting a gift twice. First you get the gift card, then you get to pick out your own presents. Wicked! For today's spell and charm moment, I wanted to address grimoires. A grimoire is a spell book, a book of intentions, ideas, chemistry, meditation, observation, and self-care. I encourage everyone to keep a grimoire or a journal, like Martha Ballard. To start your grimoire, choose a notebook. It can be a cheap Walmart notebook that's been sitting around since fourth grade, or something fancy. You can decorate it or leave it plain. On the first page, write your name. In the space underneath, consider writing a charm or drawing a sigil of empowerment or safety. Then fill your grimoire with whatever is important to you. You can press leaves and flowers between pages, jot down a rhyming charm that you want to repeat to yourself every morning, or list out a yoga routine that helps you calm down in the evening. You can keep it by your bed and write down your dreams. You can make entries of intention spells or research moon phases in astronomy. You can take notes on herbs and kitchen craft or do sketches. Write about holidays and traditions that energize you or the change of seasons. There are a lot of possibilities and all you have to do is take that first step. Grab a notebook and start expressing. That's a wrap on today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure you and your coven are subscribed to Of Witches and Women on Apple or Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. And please write me a magical review on your podcast app so others can find and enjoy the show as well. Thanks for listening and sharing. You make each of my days a little more magical as I research and write these incredible stories. Connect to me and the pod on social media and look up ofwitchesandwomen.com 
For even more great content, podcast merchandise, and to subscribe to The Oracle. Stay fierce, witches, and I'll catch you next time. Of Witches and Women is brought to you by SHH Media, LLC.